You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Doing It for the Exposure, a brand new show that aims to highlight and promote hardworking Irish artists, especially those affected by the lockdown. I'm your host, Mannequin Blue, and today's special guest is a very good friend of mine, writer and theatre director, Kian O'Callaghan. Hello, and thank you for saying I'm special. I really appreciate that. Well, you are special. You took the time out. (laughs) (laughs) So, Kian, why don't you run us through kind of what it is that you do and, you know, how exactly you got into it? Oh, God, that's going to take more than half an hour. Um, (laughs) In a nutshell. Okay, uh, my name is Kino Calicone. I run a theatre company called Underdog Theatre Productions, and I write and direct theatre shows as well as teaching drama and helping out with scripts around Dublin. And how did you get into that then? Uh, complete fluke, more or less. I know that's not the <laughs> kind of most inspiring beginning. Well, I think that but... tends to be the way with, with most creatives. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure everyone has like a weird nonsensey story about how they got into it. And actually, that's why I'm really looking forward to hearing more of these episodes on your new series. But uh, yeah, just kind of stumbled into the drama side of things. I got a decent role in a production of The Crucible when I was uh, 18 and about to leave school. And then like two weeks afterwards, I got an audition for uh, the Bull Alley College in the Liberties. And... They accepted me in kind of on the audition alone without the leaving sort of points. So I was like, oh, this is promising. Yeah. And but I didn't stick with the acting for too long because in college, uh, I was starting to just write little nonsensey scenes for the other students in the class. Like, you know, we'd do a Shakespeare thing. I would write a Shakespeare type scene and write characters to the other actors in the class. And then as a joke, I wrote a play called Waiting for Garda about um, a real party that we were all at, a post-show party, in which someone whose name I won't mention ended up, I think, something to the effect of crashing and stealing a car on the way to get drinks. And we were all kind of held hostage in the house party until they got back by the guards. And no, no matter how good the party is, if you're there under guard of supervision, it just kind of goes flat and awkward. <laughs> so, so as a joke, I wrote a play about that night and cast all the actors who were there like in the roles, just as like a little project. Mm-hmm. And then as luck would have it, or not possibly, uh, our course ran out of funding. So we suddenly weren't graduating. So I grabbed them all and went, hey, let's find a space and do this. And that's kind of how, a roundabout way of how I got my first directing gig too. So, so hold on, you wrote this from experience? Uh, yes, I suppose so. I mean, it was kind of the easiest casting job in the world because you literally just got to write the pe- what happened and then cast the people who were there. <laughs> uh, except for the me role. I had to get another actor named Jeff Gibson to play me. But yeah, by and large, it was a very surreal experience because you were kind of making a fictitious version of an incredibly awkward night and kind of giving it a beginning, a middle and end and adding themes to it and stuff. So it was the weirdest introduction to theater making, but it stuck with me and I've been doing it ever since. 
<laughs> that's wild <laughs> I'd never heard that story before really I, yeah. I, I can't believe we've known each other this long I've never told you that story yeah. that's kind yeah no I, I mean I, I get that you know they say you know kind of write what you know I just didn't think that that because that's that's a crazy scenario in itself that's not something I could dream of and that actually happened and became a play yeah I'd love to remake it again someday because I was literally the first thing I did uh we just did it in the space in Temple Bar called The Exchange, which sadly isn't there anymore. I believe it's now like an Italian bakery teaching school, something like that. Uh, oh. But it was a great experience. And it was really, really weird because the it was this art space, which was just open to anyone who booked it completely free. So now and again, we'd be rehearsing with like musicians in the room. We'd be rehearsing with other actors. We'd be rehearsing with artists. Uh, one time we got into a fight with a bunch of um, like kind of church choir singers because we had a show that was about to go on and they wouldn't leave. So mm-hmm. it just kind of, it was basically, it was a kind of great experience, but it was also a weird learning curve and anything that could go wrong did happen, even though the show kind of did come together and make a profit. So it was a great learning experience. Yeah, I'd say so. I'm surprised that didn't make it into a play itself because that's that's a wild scenario. It should do. I, um, I, you know, after this, I may pen something like that because, like, here I am trying to think of weird nonsensey scenarios and all these. I've lived through these things, which I think are normal until I hear people reacting over the air. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so, so what are some of your other um, uh, theatre works that we might know of? Um, okay. Well, I must confess, this is a slightly weird time to be doing this appearance because the underdog has actually been on a little hibernation since my wonderful daughter Primrose was born. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most recent stuff I've done is a uh, school for dinosaurs kids show, uh, in Smock Alley, which we will bring back as soon as Prim's of an age where she doesn't kind of need you know, 24 hour supervision to not end up in a fireplace or something like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was actually, that was a great fun one that um, had Susan Barrett and Stephen Gorman, Andrea Bulger, uh, loads of really talented people working on it. I believe you actually kind of worked on it to some degree as well. I did, I did a little bit. Yeah. And actually for those of you who haven't seen school for dinosaurs, you know, if, and when it does come back, I definitely recommend it because it's a lot of fun. We tracked down a recording of it that my sister made. We may put it up on the Facebook page over the next few weeks. Uh, Jessica Lean, she was in this as well. She played the teacher. There was a lot of talent in that show that uh, deserves credit. Way too much, actually. Like, there's almost not enough room for all of the talented people we dragged in. Like, your pal, uh, Bethany, uh, Mm -hmm. Bethany Williams. I I wouldn't surprise me if she pops up on the show before too long. Oh yeah, I'd uh, love to have her at some point. Yeah, like she did us a banner, like Leanne Scanlon and uh, E. Kerr, they did the costumes. Uh, like there was a lot of talent on that one. And it was just great fun to kind of have these dinosaur costumes and kind of go into rehearsals and go, right, what can we do today then? And then just kind of <laughs> hammer a shape onto it near the end. Give me your best T-Rex. <laughs> but that was just it because I, uh, this this was like, my third or fourth show in Smock Alley and I deliberately hired on actors I'd worked with before to, for the most part and creatives like yourself. So I kind of knew that I'd be able to write empty spaces in the script where it says Matt's lesson and just write Stephen does something funny 
and <laughs> and he would I, deliver. I trusted that it would happen. Yeah. Like you know. <laughs> yeah, I re- I remember there was a particular scene with a ukulele. Yes, that um, on, was it. Yes, on the night, and it didn't it didn't quite go to plan. I think there was a problem with the tuning or something, but he just made it work. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was fabulous. <laughs> If yeah, if you ever have a chance to hire any of those actors, Stephen Gorman, Susan Barrett, Andrea Bolger, or Jessica Lean, do because they are absolute gems, and they will bring you seven ideas when you only ask for two. So like they're absolute pros. I think Jess is in the UK now, uh, but uh, yeah, that was kind of the most recent one. I've also been doing work for DIT Drama Society. I think it's called TUD now. I think they kind of all conglomerated or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, before the lockdown happened, I was helping them develop a very wonderful and strange production of Midsummer Night's Dream, which had lots of 70s music and lots of psychedelic stuff in it. So I really hope that kind of comes back in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I suppose before that, most of my work was with Smock Alley and with the new theatre. For the new theatre, I had the pleasure of directing both The Collector. Um, which was written by Daniel Wade, who is an incredibly talented poet. And if you're on Facebook, you should definitely check out his stuff. Oh yeah, and, D- Daniel's Daniel's fantastic. We actually have him lined up for a future episode. Oh, lovely. Yeah, I'm I'm ashamed to say that he has another play in the works and I haven't been able to get involved as much as I should just because of baby commitments. But when you hear about his next script... Uh, which he's written with the wonderful Justin McCann. Do check it out because it is top notch. Like I think you actually did a read through for it, didn't you? Oh yes, I think I did. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to give anything away just yet. I'll. I'll let if Daniel wants to talk about that, we can. We can have a chat. Yeah, of course, um, of course. But and, it, it's uh, good stuff. Yes, like and it's and he's and if you get a chance to work with him, he's brilliant too. I feel like I'm on to plug everyone else, but that is just kind of <laughs> the nature of the industry. Uh, and I also have done shows like uh, Absolute Beginners uh, for Diane Crotty and um, Ashling Seven, which was my own. That was for the now tragically gone theatre upstairs. Mm-hmm. And uh, also a little weird one that I'm not sure if anyone remembers, but I'd like to throw it out, Tingo by myself and Jesse Doyle, which was kind of like um, a weird Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderlandy thing where we let our imaginations go weird places and there were keyboard trees and there was lots Ooh. of brilliant music um, and lots and lots of, re- like they were singing serial songs, like songs from like breakfast ads, like to disco music. And it, it went weird places. I've lots of fond memories of that one. Well, I, th- I think weird is good. <laughs> I mean, we're we're creatives, you know. If we're not going weird, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of me. I've kind of been doing kind of mostly directing and facilitating and writing for the past couple of years under the Underdog logo. But where I can, because the nature of it is collaborative, I've been trying my best to help out with other people's scripts and even just something as small as putting a director in touch with a writer and trying kind of get as many projects going as I can. Because that's what Underdog started as. It was just sort of a nice little space where you could hook up actors with directors and writers with producers and all that kind of stuff and see if anything happens. It's fantastic. And you mentioned that you're also a drama teacher. Yes. um, I have the privilege of working with Drama Beans out in Tala. 
where we do. Uh, that's run by Janine Nagel, and I believe your friend Kate Hennessy, she works for them too. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and we work with young kids, kind of from the age, young as four up to as old as 16 there. And we do lots of great work, like kind of just developing new things and developing original kind of songs and games and all that kind of stuff. And with the teenagers, we do entire projects, like sometimes you write scripts, sometimes you write films. So it's a wonderful little gig. And if you've got kids, like Drama Beans is definitely the way to go because Janine, who runs it, she is incredibly creative and she's always trying to think of a new angle or a new project to tackle. At the moment, we're trying to find out the best way of like doing drama classes online safely. Mm-hmm. So that might be coming out in the next two or three weeks. But yeah, it's an absolute blast going out to those kids in Tala like uh, once a week. I've actually brought them up on the uh, Nerd to Know podcast before because we've had a bit of a dialogue going where uh, Dara couldn't get into this game Fortnite. And mm-hmm. I went to the kids and went, I've got this friend who can't like get into Fortnite. Can you help him? And one girl went, did he not just hit the A button? and we went back and forth over the course of a few weeks so yeah those kids are excellent and if you're a theater person i encourage you be it aspiring or in the game for a few years i fully encourage you to try and teach one drama lesson because it really helps bring you back to the basics of what theater and drama is which is just some people in a room creating things together in a positive environment and seeing what comes out of it. I think, I'm not sure if you've kind of run into this thing before with, cause you're in like lots and lots of industries, aren't you, Katie? <laughs> Too many to name. Too <laughs> many. Here all day. <laughs> well, uh, in any one of those, I won't name names because I don't want to presume, but I'm sure you've been in a position where maybe you've just worked at so many festivals or worked so long at a certain gig that you almost don't see the simplicity and the joy of work doing a thing you love sometimes for money sometimes for exposure sometimes for connecting whatever but i think it's really good to have something that grounds you like that in your life and to have the opportunity to come up with new games every week and see how kids react to it because it'll surprise you like it's i really think that you should go back to basics and just share your joy of it with other people as much as possible. Because, I mean, you know it yourself. There'll be tough times when you may not have a gig for a long time or you may have a gig, but it's kind of not a fun gig or whatever. So it's, yeah, Drama Beans has definitely kept me on the straight and narrow as far as the theater thing for a long, long time. And I've really enjoyed the opportunity to work with them. Oh, that's so lovely. And if you know, if you don't mind me asking, how has working with Drama Beans and and teaching in general has has that impacted your writing or directing or anything like that in in other avenues of work? Sometimes, I mean, we mentioned the dinosaur one earlier. Like uh, now and again, I'd kind of float ideas. Like I'm doing this dinosaur thing. What are your favorite dinosaurs? Or I'm doing a play set in a forest like what are the weirdest things you've run into in a forest and the thing I love about working with uh kids is you know how when you're and I don't mean this as a like a diss or anything I mean this with sincere awe like Mm -hmm. you know how adults when they go to say something there's like this little customs thing in their head 
where you kind of go, should I say that? No, because then that might upset him and he'll say it to someone else. I'm just going to say something else. Kids don't have that. Yeah, they've no the nicest, filter. <laughs> the ni- that's it, filter. The nicest kids in the world are still as honest as they come. And I find that genuinely refreshing because I don't have a head for like the subtleties and the language of networking and all that kind of stuff. So if I bring in some actors from a thing I'm working on and I put a few kids in front of it and I go, oh, is that working? And they were like, I don't get it. I was like, right, they don't get it. This needs fixing. Uh, Because like, um, yeah, I think maybe it's also the kind of the recent parenthood, but kids do ground you. I think you do kind of get notions of what you do and all that kind of stuff. Like working with kids is a great experience and there are tough days. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I'm genuinely like uh, humbled that uh, drama beans and I've worked with play act as well. They're wonderful, but like that uh, these wonderful groups trust me to just be creative and the kids also meet me halfway Mm-hmm. and kind of get in on the play and it's been a wonderful experience and i honestly couldn't say if how much it's affected the output i do but it has helped me keep my sense of play and i bring that sense of play to the adults i work with like uh, i also work with now and again with uh, adult groups in jobstown uh, out in Ankasan. and i think that sense of play translates to any age group so i think it's honestly I, I think it's vital, really. I think you need to be reminded that it's supposed to be fun, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, if it's not fun, why are you doing it? <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think you do need a reminder now and again. And I'm really looking forward to hearing who else. You can, I know you've got to have Daniel on the show, but like, I'm really looking forward to seeing who treats what they do as play, who treats it as very serious work. And all those perspectives are valid. But for me, I think you need to, like, touch base with the fact that you get to do silly things and you get paid for it sometimes it's not perfect (laughs) but it is nice and you've kind of make peace with that you know yeah yeah it's not all just doing it for the exposure uh well not to like undermine your premise but yeah (laughs) (laughs) well no i mean that that was the the whole point in in doing the show is that you know we're, we're taking back the the exposure part and actually trying to make it work for us yes 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 exactly and like i mean I'm sure that like over the coming episodes that we will get into like maybe some heavier sides of the industry, but like, yeah, we all got to rely on each other and like kind of keep everyone focused on like how lucky we are to collaborate with all these wonderful people. And it costs nothing to say to someone, Hey, that guy, Michael with the balloons, he's brilliant. Or, uh, or Bethany with her art, go check her out. It only takes a second of your life and it might mean the world to them, you know? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So just on that note, what are some other things you do besides, because I know you said you're a writer. Is it just plays or do you write other things? Um, it's mostly plays now. I'm lucky enough to be writing for Geek Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. They let me do uh, kind of weekly essays and that kind of stuff. I think probably the most popular one would be the nerding with children because I get to just write lists of things Prim did that week. Um, like, you know, kind of what music she's dancing to or what Marvel movies she likes. Um, aside from that, like, I think the writing would mostly be for theatre, but given the time, I'd love to try and crack into novel writing. But I think 
just uh, because like I've got loads of friends who do it who I'm immensely like proud of like Deirdre Sullivan and kind of and Dave Rudden and all these wonderful people like but I just like I mean I won't name names but some of them have to get up at five in the morning to write to seven to then go to work to all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. I have not figured out how to do that just yet <laughs> but it's something I'd love to get into because like um with theater writing you're limited by your imagination but also by resources to some degree mm-hmm. so I'd love to kind of take some of the wilder concepts like the dinosaurs and that kind of stuff and just like get into prose and see if there's an audience for it you know although having said that it's hard to kind of uh there is something really exhilarating about the instant feedback of theater mm-hmm. like you could just come up with an idea on the Monday bring over two or three friends by the Friday and suddenly you've got the guts of a working show. And I just get a kick off that. If anything, I did too many shows too soon when I started out, I should have just like picked a good one and paced myself, but I was doing loads and loads of things. Just excited. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, once you get, I think everyone goes to that phase, you just kind of take on everything because you just want to see what happens. And that's a vital part of the process, you know? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah. I think I am notorious for that. I just, I want to do it all and then you burn out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that is the burnout thing. A wonderful friend of mine, Sinead O'Brien, she has this thing called Cloud Tardis Time where she'll do two or three projects back to back and then just go hide in her room for a week. I'm not sure if she still does that, but it's a wonderful habit. Like, you know, you just push yourself as far as you can. You take your burnout, you go into a tent with some sweets and then you come back out ready to go again. Like, because I'm sure like, burnout is a thing in the industry because like it's i think arts stuff is always going to be a gig economy and it's very easy to kind of overtax yourself out of that fear of not getting another gig you know Mm, absolutely yeah yeah Uh, like do you find that yourself i mean you have uh, kind of got your fingers in lots of pies creatively as far as kind of all this goes Oh, completely. Yeah. No, I, I, I jump on as many gigs as I can get because, you know, you don't know when you're going to get another one. Mm. Um, and that, that was one of the things about the lockdown was that I had so much, and I'm sure everybody else did as well. They probably had so much lined up for the year and then it, they just saw it all kind of fall apart overnight. Um, well, I mean, that's just it. Like, I mean, like I was in the middle of, uh, like this mentioned earlier, the TUD gig, uh when this all started going down and like that's a college thing i i don't like i mean i don't want to kind of like name names or anything but i don't know what way that gig's gonna go is it coming back is am i still getting paid it's gonna be no one's fault if it doesn't but it's still like you can't really the drama lessons have shut down like that's that's money that we're losing every week i've got a family like so if i think the artist's industry has been hit very hard for this in ways that even now aren't yet apparent and not just the arts like i was interviewing ushin wallace like on my own podcast the game corner this week and all of his work is like activity stuff axe throwing all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. things that can't be done from home you know so i think i think in a weird way we won't know what we've lost until this is all blown over by which point it may be too late but at least we can be mindful of it now you know yeah, absolutely. 
And on that ominous note. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Please don't end there. No, no, no. It's okay. We've still got some time. Okay. <laughs> I just thought I'd I don't want to be. Up. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on like the first episode. Like. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Don't worry. We can go over a bit. Um, no, I was, I was just going to ask you for, for those at home who are listening and are interested in maybe starting to get into maybe writing or directing or some kind of theater or drama do you have any advice for them? Um, that's a very good question. Uh, I have run like kind of uh, workshops and seminars on this before for the Liberties and the TUD, but um, I would say the, the thing I always go to, which I would write on my imaginary whiteboard if I had one, <laughs> is uh, when you're approaching writing something, try and write the thing you always want to see, but never get to. And I know that sounds like a bit unhelpful at the start, but what it does is, is that uh, start what you love. You love horror movies, you love action, you love this, you love that. Start there, start with what you know. But more often than not, if you can just find something that you've always wanted to see, be it, I don't know, vampires in an action movie set on a bridge, whatever. Not only are you starting from a point of love, but you are also starting guaranteed with an idea that doesn't exist before because as soon as you start writing, you're going to become self-aware and go, oh no, that's a bit this. Oh no, that's a bit that. Don't mind it. Your first draft is always nonsense. So just challenge yourself to keep pushing on through. Uh, Dave Rudden, who I mentioned earlier, he has a wonderful approach where he, if it's a book, he sets himself like five pages a day and he has to hit that deadline no matter what. And then he'll only review it once it's all together. Don't focus on the content of what you're writing. Just focus on getting that first draft done because your first draft is going to have a lot of wobbly bits in it. But once it's done, you'll have a better idea of what it is you're trying to make in the first place. And it's easier to kind of rewrite and change things than it is to kind of do half of the panic, give up and then start over. Now, I preach it better than I practice. But still, I found that that's a lovely way of tricking yourself over the sort of, uh, someone used to go out with use the term blank page trauma. <laughs> uh, I think she was trying to say writer's block, but actually I think it's incredibly appropriate because you do start writing and your hands go, oh no. So that's, that's, those are a couple of little cheat things I use to help get over that initial kind of fear hurdle, like... I, th I think that's great advice. And I think it goes for anyone really, because no matter what industry you work in, it's getting started is always the hardest thing. Mm. And if you can get over that, you just push through it, keep going. Even if it's nonsense, even if you're going to throw it away, just do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, like, and there's something to, I think maybe it's tying in the professional identity to the creative self that obviously you and I've done at this point, but I think eventually you've kind of a producer creeps into your brain and goes, there's a lot of things like this. You probably shouldn't be doing this. doesn't matter. Just finish it. You may finish a book or a script that you end up not wanting to use, but there might be like a really good joke in there that you like. And you can just take that joke onto the next thing. Like, I think we need to, ha to rewire our brains so that that's like, this isn't good. Throw it out, start a different thing. And more like, okay, it's like practicing piano. It's, this is all muscle memory. Even if I don't use this writing thing, I'm still becoming better for having done it. And then the next thing will be stronger. 
Yeah, I think uh, we, I, I actually went to college for um, music. And we, so we used to do songwriting. And one of the strongest pieces of advice I was probably ever given was that if you're struggling with something, walk away from it um, and come back to it, you know, maybe in a week, maybe a month or six months or whatever, and try again, just because that might not be what you're writing right now. Mm. So, you know, a lot of the time it should be just do what you feel right now and don't necessarily try to write the thing you think you should be writing because that's not where you're at. Yeah. Kind of trust your creative instincts over like what the little producer in your brain says. Like that's, I mean, I know he's not the most popular guy for valid (laughs) reasons, but Graham Linehan has a lovely approach, which is he writes something, he puts it in a shelf or like a shoebox or whatever for eight weeks just long enough to forget about it and then he reads it again and i think there's something to that like get far enough away that you're detached from it come back to it and go oh this ain't so bad i like that thing i used to hate and then pick up from there like uh do we have enough time like to go into another thing yeah of course yeah uh my kind of approach to scripts is i'll do a draft one which is usually nonsense, but it's I put in literally everything I want, regardless of budget, regardless of limitations, whatever. That's how we ended up with dinosaurs. Um, and then I put it away for a month or two. I talk to other people about it, about the concepts, and I start kind of getting creatives involved. Then I do a second draft when I've left it long enough that I've kind of forgotten about it, fix up things like almost treat it like it was a script that someone else wrote that I'm helping out someone else out with. Then I send it on to my friends for appraisal because it feels less nervous because it doesn't feel like it's mine. And then they give me notes. I do a third draft with their notes. And aside from some meddling in the process of making it, that's usually what I stick with because I've known people who've done 20, 21 drafts, 22, and they get so far away from where they started that they don't even know what it is they're trying to make anymore. It's kind of like if you hit a point with a Rubik's cube where you're just moving it for the sake of moving it. Mm-hmm. And you may be undoing something really good that you had earlier on, you know? Yeah, at that point, are you, are you overworking it? Are you watering it down? Yeah, exactly. Like, I think, I think in a weird way, other people wouldn't agree. I know that rule doesn't work for novelists where it's like only one hand or like maybe two if you include an editor is involved with it. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to theater and like the odd, like, tiny bits of film have helped out on here and there generally i think no you've a cutoff point for your brainstorming process know it's coming and make your peace with it like and then if it's not good sure do a better script next time you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely take what you've learned and, and apply that to the next one exactly yeah because otherwise you might kind of you know i hate to sound like the, like over invest in it like i've seen plays where it's clear that like obviously there should be honesty in it but it almost feels uncomfortable like especially plays about breakups and stuff where it's like this is too raw this is so you should have drafted this a little more so it became more of like a work of fiction than you using this as your therapy space i think mm-hmm. obviously there should be truth in it but i think it has to transcend into something else and I know I, that's quite hypocritical considering I opened with the Garda story, but still. <laughs> well, but I, still no, I, yeah. I, I think, yeah, no, you have a point. It has to be somewhat universal. The audience has to be able to relate. Yes, yes. I think you have to make, even if it's based on a real, like, I mean, you've seen all those, like, based on a true story films. You have to take it and put a structure on it 
that makes it into something with a beginning, middle and end. And you have to really put your own stamp on it. And you also need to learn when to kind of walk away from it, you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So just before we go, Keen, is there anything that you would like to plug um, or let people know about? Um, well, I suppose if you're, I mean, you're already here, but, uh, nerd to know media, uh, I've got a new show called the game corner going, uh, also check out my theater page, underdog theater productions. It's on Facebook. And I also write regularly for geek Ireland. So check them out. If you're looking for some fun, nerdy content, there's been loads of it since everyone's stuck in their homes. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Fantastic. And for anyone listening, if you want to keep up to date with Keen, we will post links to his social media and Instagram and, and all of that stuff as well, um, just so that you can keep up to date. Um, Keen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be your first special guest. Oh, me too. <laughs> you have no idea how much it means. Okay, well then, thank you for having me on and you have a lovely day now. If you enjoyed this episode of Doing It For The Exposure and would like to hear more in the future, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at D-I-F-T-E Podcast. You can also check out our stream on nerdtoknowmedia.com. We stream weekly on Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to a Nerd To Know Media production. 